This is The Authentic Professional. Real discussions with real people who work real jobs and live real lives. The Authentic Professional is hosted by Jacinta Gallant, a collaborative lawyer, mediator, and conflict trainer who decided to bring more of who she is to what she does. I'm Jacinta Gallant, and this is my first podcast. I want to introduce Taylor Smiley, our co-producer, a recent law school graduate, my daughter. Thanks for having me, Mom. So Taylor, when you decided to go to law school, I didn't tell you, but as your mother, I was really committed to making sure that my law practice represented what I hoped you would want to do as a professional. And while I think I did a pretty good job of that, uh, you know, raising you and your brother and all our dogs and, and, and all the fun things that we did, it was important to me that should you choose to practice with me, that you would have a, a landing spot where you could be yourself and where we could learn where we're different and where we're similar and work effectively together. I never dreamed you'd actually make that choice. And I certainly didn't try to pressure you into it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, but now we're working together, and I have to say it's wonderful. Yeah, it is. So today we're going to interview Kirsten Lund, who went to law school, then became a mediator, conflict coach, trainer, and a certified assessor of the Myers-Briggs personality type inventory. She's so cool. She is. I really like her. And we've both taken the Myers-Briggs type inventory, and I think... It helped us learn a lot about ourselves and each other and where we're similar and where we're maybe more different than we expected. Yeah, I I think that's wonderful, particularly now that we're working together. We can understand our differences and and how we drive each other crazy in a way that lets us be more accepting of that. Most days. (laughs) (laughs) And not every day, but boy, it helps. Yes. Yeah, so I'm hoping that our listeners will will get interested in personality type and in particular the Myers-Briggs yeah, type inventory, just because of the way it can help us understand others on many dimensions. Yeah, both personally and professionally. Kirsten and I had a great chat. I hope you enjoy it. When Kirsten Lund started her law career in 1994, she had two ways of dealing with conflict, compete or avoid. Now, neither was a good strategy for healthy or sustainable relationships. Then she took mediation training as a young lawyer and realized communication didn't have to be so difficult, that she could use the skills in all aspects of work and life. This led Kirsten down the path of further training, fueled by an insatiable curiosity about people and conflict. In 1996, she left law practice to become a mediator and a conflict coach. She has since trained thousands of people to become more confident addressing conflict so everyone feels valued and appreciated, heard and understood. Now, I don't remember learning that in law school. Kirsten and I met 16 years ago and have supported one another in various endeavors. One thing that captivated both of us was learning about personality type and conflict. With that shared interest, we've had many satisfying conversations, untangling various threads of conflict by understanding the types of people involved. Kirsten went on to study this more deeply, and today we will learn from Kirsten about type, 
in particular, the Mars-Briggs type inventory. So if you've been wondering, what's my type? Listen in. Welcome, Kirsten Lund. Thanks, Jacinta. I first want to ask you, though, how did law school change you? Uh, so I was glad to have had that question sent to me earlier so I could think about it on my way here. And to be honest, I hadn't really thought about it before. But thinking about it in terms even of personality type, um, I had some insight on my way here. Um, so I've always been very unapologetically me. Um, I will, will talk later about what this means, but I'm an ENTJ. Um, I'm naturally kind of bossy and <laughs> take charge and um, organized and, you know, the coordinator of the world. And I've always had a lot of confidence. And um, I think that the two places where I've sort of um, wavered a little in my confidence were law school and practicing law. And I definitely think it was connected to personality type a little bit. Well, I can't wait to talk more about that. Yeah. What led you then to go deeper than our initial introduction to personality type and really become um, someone who can deliver both the, the assessment and the training around type? Well, when I first learned about personality type, it was from our uh, former colleague, Vern Smitherum, at UPEI, and he did a course on understanding conflict through personality type. And it was just so fascinating to learn about my own type. And, um, you know, I, I remember reading my assessment and learning things about myself that they resonated and I knew they were true, but I hadn't really known them in my head before. So that was very neat. And, and then knowing those things helped me to make decisions about um, maybe communication or relationship or things I wanted to do or how I could take care of myself. Uh, and I became pretty um, fascinated, I guess, with it, uh, maybe obsessed a little bit. <laughs> um, and so I'd always planned to do the, the certification and uh, finally got around to doing that um, maybe four years ago. Although I'd always talked about it and learned about it and, you know, incorporated it. And you and I talked about it in the training that we did and it would always come up. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I can, I can um, maybe talk about it with a little more authority now. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd like, to, I'd like for our listeners to learn more about it. So could you explain basically the Myers-Briggs type inventory, the dimensions and what they mean so that as we continue this conversation, people will have a, a foundation at least in that. Uh, so, so the MBTI uh, was developed based on the work of Carl Jung, and so um, Myers and Briggs took his work and, and created this type inventory to help people understand more about themselves and other people, so that they could make those decisions about, you know, how do I, um, how do I get energy? How do I like to be around other people? Um, how do I like to make decisions? That kind of stuff. And so um, they, it's divided into four dichotomies. So the E and the I, I think probably most people are familiar with. That's introvert, extrovert. Um, even though maybe people are familiar with those words, they may be a little less familiar with what they actually mean in, in Myers-Briggs language. But essentially, extroverts get their energy from being around other people. Um, they like to uh, they like to connect with other people. They like to brainstorm, um, and they think out loud. Uh, introverts 
process internally and it takes energy for them to be around other people. Not that they're shy, not that they um, can't be around other people or be excellent speakers and networkers, but it takes energy for them to do that usually. Um, and they process in their head before they put it out to the world. Um, is that the kind of information you, you want yeah, me to share? Yeah, and I, I think particularly on this dimension because I mean, so many people think the word introvert means shy and awkward. Yeah. And sadly, when you read a news story about a serial murderer, they'll often use the word introvert in describing this person. Right. And so um, I'm wondering, just even on that dimension, there seems to be a lot of social pressure to either be an extrovert or appear in the world in a more extroverted way. Absolutely, yes. I think, you know, when you look at what are the, um, what are the, the personality types that are maybe valued in business or rewarded in business, definitely extroverts are rewarded. So there is a pressure on ex on introverts to um, whatever, to network, to um, to be able to, to speak in front of crowds and that kind of stuff. To work in open concept offices. Yeah. With no door. Ah. Yeah. So I, I, I do have a funny story though, because when you and I first took our, our initial training from Vern, honestly, I, I went home that night and just apologized to my husband yeah. because I realized that it <laughs> was too. a thing. Like <laughs> this whole thing about energy and needing to cocoon to restore yourself and, and, and process internally before, before you know, expressing. And it was life-changing, I gotta yeah. be honest. So I value so much the, the way understanding type helped me to be way more accepting of others mm. and more forgiving of my own sort of idiosyncrasies. Absolutely. I did the same thing. Uh, we probably <laughs> have shared this story already with each other, but yeah, um, because I used to uh, uh, have conversations with my husband, who's an introvert and who's an F, and so the, another dichotomy is feeler-thinker. So um, thinkers really like uh, they're, they're logical, analytical, um, they sort of step back to take a look at the picture where feelers are more focused on people and relationships and they step in to see what's happening with the people involved. Um, so he's, uh, and so they're also more likely to accommodate. So if we were having a discussion about something, um, trying to make a decision, I would be the extrovert brainstorming out loud and the first thing out of an extrovert's mouth is not going to be their final decision <laughs> because they're still thinking, right? right. Um, but the introvert hears it as, okay, they've made up their mind because the introvert doesn't put it out to the world until they've made up their mind. Yeah, and then they get to look so smart because they've considered it right. before they put it out there. I've always <laughs> right. resented that, actually. I know. <laughs> Introverts think extroverts are all over the map and that they change their mind all the time, which is not true. We're just working it out, out loud, um, where extroverts might see introverts as being really immovable or, or you know, um, uh, being very um, positional because they've thought about it and they've come to a conclusion, right? Um, yeah, so it, it definitely has an impact uh, on my personal life as well. Yeah. All right, well, what's, what's another dimension? So uh, another one would be the TJ. So, um, sorry, the, not the TJ, the um, judge, judging or perceiving, so the J or the P. So um, judging doesn't mean you're judging other people. Um, Js are very, um, they like their lists, they like to be organized, they like to get things out the door, done is better than perfect. Um, where the P's, um, they're more creative. They, um, they're, they're looking for more and more information. They want to keep their options open. Um, they're, 
Uh, they want to be ready to pivot or be flexible um, should new information come. Um, so some of the conflict that might happen between uh, J and a P, you know, a, a P might feel very boxed in by this, um, you know, step-by-step uh, -step plan um, that the J wants to do and all the little milestones and get that out the door. That might feel like really overwhelming and boxed in for the P, where the J might look at the P and feel like they're never going to get anything done or um, they're, they're very stressed out by um, what gives P an energy. Uh, energy is sort of like that, like the, the creative final deadline, you know, like the energy that the P gets there. The J is like, holy crap, I want to get that done and out the door. And they're more likely to actually have it um, completed early. So. Yeah, it's, I, I, I find it stunningly interesting to look at the travel habits mm. of the difference between the J and the P yeah. and sort of who's got the agenda and itinerary um, prepared to the minute and yeah. who's just sort of booked the flight and we'll figure it out when we get there. Yeah. Those two extremes are kind of fun and yet it wouldn't be so much fun traveling together if there weren't some other dimensions where they shared some commonality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the tests that I often give people because, so we do a, we do a, um, computerized assessment, but then I have people do a self-assessment as well. And so one of the questions that I often ask people when they're stuck sort of, um, because Jay is another one of those um, uh, um, dimensions, I guess, that that are valued in the workplace, valued in sort of a business world, right? Like, um, and so P's often feel the pressure to be more J. And so there was somebody that I was doing an assessment for and she, it came back P, um, from the computerized assessment, but she uh, was like, no, no way, I'm a J, I have my lists, I get things done, I get them out the door, but that was a learned behavior. Um, she had been a lawyer for all of her career um, and learned very early in her career that she needed to uh, be more J-like. There was a lot of pressure. She was managing staff, there were court deadlines, all that stuff, right? Um, but when I asked this question, um, when you have a day off, it's a vacation day where there's no pressure from kids, from anybody, from work. There's nothing you have to do. Is it planned or is it not? Um, I'm a J. My birthday, I have like a list of all these things that I want to do. Um, and check, check, I'm going to, you know, do my nails. I'm going to write a chapter of my novel. I'm going to do this, 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 because I know they're going to make me happy. That would be like hell for her. She wants to just have nothing planned and wake up and see where the wind blows her. And you're nodding because, of course, you're a P. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm a pretty strong P. Yeah. <laughs> Working in a J environment. Yeah. And so my, my assistant often laughs after a day of, you know, vigorous J work as a lawyer that I'll be like, is, she's like, it's like you burst out the door and you have to be freed. I'm like, yeah, I'm leaving. Yeah. And so without that understanding that I can actually do very well in closing and detailing and lists and getting all that done. But boy, oh boy, don't ask me to do that in my leisure time. Oh, so the, yeah. my choices of volunteer work will very much be influenced by if I have to do the stuff I'm not naturally loving to do, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the, that's one of the things I think is so important about knowing what your personality type is. It's not that you have to adhere to it. It's not that um, an introvert can't be an amazing public speaker or a brilliant networker or that a P can't be a total closer and meet all the deadlines and get everything out the door, but it will take you energy if you go against your type. You can do it 
perfectly. Like this person I'm talking about, she can out J most J's, yeah. but it takes more energy for her to do that than if she went with, with type. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I really do appreciate that insight that comes from knowing that, that it's really about, uh, we can all perform and yet what's our natural preference. Yeah. So sort of in my natural state, yeah, my day off is not planned, yep. but I can guarantee you because of my type, which we can talk about later, it's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So there's the only one we haven't talked about yes, is, yet is the S and the N, so the sensing and intuitive. So sensors are very much about um, present reality, uh, and they really value um, sort of uh, research and data where um, the intuitives are about future possibilities, and they, they value more sort of hunch or gut feeling kind of stuff. Well, that dimension can cause a lot of conflict, both in the workplace and I find that even even in interaction with clients. Totally. Uh, I can find myself sometimes, okay, so full disclosure, I'm a fairly strong N mm -hmm. on the intuitive side. Um, and so when I start to get the detail, I almost feel like I'm drowning. Yeah. And yet I will also observe that in my explanation or interaction with people that they're like, there's stuff going on in my mind that's not being communicated to them and their sensing need has not been met. Yeah. Again, has led me in many t to, it's given me many opportunities to understand myself and others better and to forgive and accept. But it isn't an easy one. I find that dimension to be one that rubs me not, I'm not quite as tolerant of the strong S as I am of perhaps the other dimensions. Well, and you know, given our choice of how we've defined our careers in, towards the collaborative um, mediation, um, you know, that it's not surprising that we're both ends because it re, like that whole um, focus of, of mediation is about future possibilities. And there's times where I, when I teach or when I'm, when I'm mediating where I'll actually say, yes, tell me what happened, but then I'm going to move you right off that and we're going to look at what, what's going to be different in the future. Because it's not about who did what to who and who's at fault and whatever. It's about how are we going to do things differently in the future. And some people obviously find that more difficult than others because they want to stay. They want to stay in the right. what happened and who did what and who said what or whatever. Well, actually, in, and in my training work, I train a lot of lawyers. Mm -hmm. And they're often, you know, when I say almost just to be provocative. Well, you know what? The facts and figures don't matter, really. <laughs> They're like, what are you talking yeah. about? Because facts and figures, evidence, mm -hmm. you know, all of that is so much a part of the lawyer's mindset, and it's what we use in our toolbox in order to achieve outcomes for clients. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, do you know if there's a type that dominates law? A personality type that one could say would be more typical of a lawyer than another. Well, I did a, um, I did a little, I've, I've done assessments with a lot of lawyers and I also did a little research checking into have there, have there been, um, some tabulations of, of that. Um, and in fact, um, ISTJ, uh, makes up about 18%. And then the next one after that at 13% INTJ. So, you know, um, introverts and TJs make up um, you know, 30% of, of lawyers. Now this is research in the States, but. Yeah. Well, well um, let's just break that down for a minute. So that yeah. introverted, just help us, help us formulate this. Who's this person in our minds now? 
Yeah, so, um, so if we were looking at the ISTJ, um, so introverted, sensing, um, thinking, and judging. So um, in their head, formulating um, uh, decisions or opinions um, internally before they put it out to the world. So then once they put it out to the world, they're pretty solid on that. Um, oh, yeah. uh, S, so they're very much about present realities and facts and figures and um, probably the law, you know. Um, uh, the T, very much sort of removed anal like from people, sort of um, objective, analytical, and um, J, out the door, um, it's done. So ISTJs in particular are very much about, um, they like law, they like the rules, they like to know what the rules are, and they like the rules to be followed, and it creates stress when they're not. <laughs> um, and so the thing is, like that, some of that's great, depending on the kind of law that you're doing, right? Um, some of that uh, can be a challenge when you start taking it into managing your staff or whatever. Um, there's a lot, like most of the, so the top six, the st top six um, personality types for lawyers in this study um, were TJs. So TJs. Yeah. So I'm a TJ. Yeah. I'm, in some ways, a bit of a reform TJ. I'm a TJ who moves through the world like an F um, because of all the mediation training, all the work that I do. I very much understand that in order to get the best solutions, you must have good relationships. Most TJs. That's not our natural. That's that's not natural for a TJ. Um, uh, like mostly TJs, we focus on what is, um, you know, what's the most reasonable solution here, right? Like based on maybe evidence, based on whatever logic. Um, where Fs would be focused on what is what are the solutions that are going to work best for the people in relationships, and that's not something that comes natural to a T. Well, it's interesting, too, TJ. because you've got, you know, lawyers are constantly looking at, is it an objective criteria or a subjective criteria? Yeah. Is there a, is there, would, would a, would a T more naturally be comfortable with the objective criteria? Absolutely. And the F be struggling against that to say, we need to consider subjectivity here. Yeah. Yeah. Big yeah. time. And yeah. you know what? Um, you and I have talked about, uh, you know, the sort of future of law and, and where things need to go. And like one of the places that I've always felt um, like maybe... Uh, there wasn't a fit and it was more so as the more I learned how to how to use mediation skills how to how to be um, focused more on collaboration um, it, it is a struggle to sort of fit that into traditional kind of law but things are changing right yes. like there's a lot of things that are changing and and I think about I think about you know being in a small place like PEI there's um, certainly probably um, still that valuing of, of certain personality types, but there's a lot more small firms or one-person firms or whatever where you can kind of do your thing, right? And, and maybe not um, have to adhere so much to that kind of corporate Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting that the, the type descriptions that seem to certainly, certainly show up as dominating in, in the research study that you looked at um, do feel very, they feel very corporate. Yeah. Um, and yet, the experience that the public has, the sort of the consumer of legal services has, is that in many cases they want something less corporate. Absolutely. They want their needs to be met on other levels. Yeah. We, we uh, in our firm, we got an email from a client who dropped in last Friday, and, and <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say this because I loved it. Thanks a lot. You guys were a breath of fresh air. Don't get too corporate. 
And this was someone who yeah. was there for a commercial transaction purpose. Yeah. And so when you think about type and you think about what learning about type can do, um, what advice would you have for people who, who might consider looking at this in terms of their own satisfaction and, the, and their sense of reward at work? I think when you know your type, like I said, you can go against type, you can learn to go against type, you can learn to be very excellent against type, but it will take energy. And so the more energy that it takes, the less satisfaction you're going to have. Um, you can make adjustments for that, you know, like if an introvert, for instance, is going to um, participate in a, uh, you know, a, a networking conference to, um, you know, build relationship to sell a product for instance like you're about to do now you're an extrovert so you'll excel obviously <laughs> there but if you were an introvert um, you could still excel but you would want to plan some times in where okay I know I'm gonna um, be you know doing this keynote um, so I want to make sure that before the keynote I have some time to just sort of chill and um, be in my own head and I'm gonna plan some time after I'm not gonna go right into you know uh, my next thing that I'm teaching or I'm not gonna go right to the booth you know where I then have to talk to people I'm gonna take half an hour and just sit by myself and whatever so you can just sort of plan some pieces in there or you know you talked about um, like you can do the J thing, you can get stuff out the door, you can make the lists and cross them off, but you know yourself well enough to know that um, you might need to plan sometimes where there's no planning, right? You might need yeah. to block off some time and you might need to say like, you know what, I have um, you know all this stuff going on that day where I'm gonna be just like getting stuff out the door. Uh, so I'm gonna say no to your kind offer to, um, you know, whatever, take me to that event where I have to plan yeah, somebody's strategic yeah, my whatever. Volunteer, <laughs> my volunteer commitments have changed considerably yeah. as I realize the energy that it takes to work against type, or maybe not against type, but work, work in my less preferred dimension and yet be a highly effective in every other way lawyer. One of the things that I think is most, I don't know, I don't know what word to use, can be most difficult for lawyers is what happens for the F's in the realm of taking things personally? Mm. When you look at an adversarial system in, in which lawyers work, whether we're in court or not, um, it can be very difficult not to take things personally when the daggers come out in an adversarial. You know, I've got this idea of the vulnerable warrior, which is sort of, when I think of me, I put my, my court cape on, and that's my protective shield, and I go off to fight I, that's again another war metaphor, but to fight, say, a battle where I know that uh, people and subjectivity matters, but I'm in a system that's going to look more at facts and figures and objectivity. So there's certain walls that go up, and at the same time, I'm going to say that being an F allows me to be more creative and to anticipate what decision makers might be struggling with so that I can appeal to the side of a, of a judge or a, an adjudicator that that brings in that human subjective side. Yep. I mean, I just don't want lawyers to give up just because they're not, you know, ITJs or ISTJs. Yeah. I, I, as now full disclosure, I am an ENFP, mm -hmm. and I don't know any other lawyers who are. Yeah. However, um, I do know that, that learning about types helped me understand my colleagues better, and I think I would even say helped me to take things personally less. 
Yeah, and I do, th- you know, I'm, I, I'm a T who moves through the world like an F, but I'm not an F. And so one of the things that I've learned, and the more that I do this work, is that um, there's a lot more empaths in the world than we think, yes. right? And so the more I do this work, the more I realize that I think majority of Fs can actually feel other people's emotions. And so I work with a lot of Fs, and there have been times where, um, you know, I remember one of my colleagues uh, that I do a lot of training with saying to me, you know, when you walk in, you know, to a room of a uh, group you're going to facilitate, and you can like feel like how there's like different emotions going on. And yeah. I'm at the T, it's like right over my head. I'm like, what are you even talking about? That was a long time ago. She said that. I certainly understand better now what she meant, but I don't understand it because I've experienced it uh, as a T. That's not something I'll ever experience. I will never be able to walk into a room without knowing what's going on and know that there's some anxiety or no, like I might be able to read body language. I might be able to hear it in their tone of voice, but I'm not gonna feel it in my body, right? And so one of the challenges I think for Fs is that, um, is that you need to figure out how to block other people's emotions sometimes, right? And so maybe you're in that courtroom Maybe or maybe you're having that experience that doesn't feel so great um, with another lawyer or whatever, and it might not be only your emotions that you're that you're feeling. And so, and again, I'm not an expert on how to do this, but I do know um, people that know how to sort of block it off. Yeah. And I know people who actually thought that they had social anxiety and would avoid networking events and and different things. Um, because they thought they had social anxiety and then they realized, holy shit, it's not about social anxiety, it's that I'm overwhelmed by everybody else's emotions. And so there are things that you can do and I'm not the one to teach them, but yeah. there are things that you can do to sort of block that out. Um, but you know, the other thing is, the reality is that it's a very core value of an F that people and relationships matter. Like it's, it's core, so you may never really want to shift that no right no, I don't want to shift it I yeah I just think that it's an interesting thing to see that the dominant type in law tend to be on the thinking judging side yeah and that that makes a lot of sense and so part of this you know part of this the reason for this podcast is to talk about how can we be how can we be more authentic doing the work that we do, bringing more of you to what you do, that that idea. And so I want to thank you for bringing this information and insight to our community so that people can figure out a way to bring more of who they are to what they do and maybe feel more satisfaction. Yeah. And acceptance. Well, that's key. I mean, if you're not if you're not satisfied, if you don't feel accepted, if you don't feel like you have a place where you fit, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. So Kirsten, if people want to know more about type, and in particular, the Myers-Briggs Type Inventory, how could they get that help? Well, there's lots of ways that you can find out about Myers-Briggs. There's tons of, of stuff on the internet. I mean, you can research it. There are some free tests that you can take. Um, one caveat about the free tests that you can take, when I take them, they tell me I'm an ENFJ, which is totally wrong. Um, and it's because of my trained behavior, where the Myers-Briggs assessment itself um, tends to be more true. Um, it's, I think, it's accurate something like 92% of the time where some of the free online stuff, quite a bit less than that, I would say. Um, so what do you get if you do the actual assessment with someone who's, who's qualified to deliver that? 
like you. Yeah. So uh, what I do is um, when someone wants to to have their assessment done, um, they would get an email from me um, with a, a individual link to do the assessment through Myers Briggs, and then they would get from me a. Um, a self-assessment so because it's not just about Myers-Briggs telling you here's what you are it's it's a it's more of a collaborative um, effort I guess uh, when you're doing it with someone who's a certified assessor so you do your self-assessment and then a call with me to compare the two with some discussion about um, you know whether there's differences right so the one I talked about before where the person who was positive she was a J because of her behavior but the assessment was saying P um, I'm able to do some coaching and ask some questions and help them figure it out so that they're very clear on yes this is my um, what we call best fit type right all right so how would people reach you if they wanted to do that kind of an assessment uh, so my uh, website my company is collaborationschool.com so people could find me there I would strongly encourage any of our listeners to do that it is something that has changed my life and the way I interact with others. So thank you for this, Krista. Yeah, my pleasure.